Welcome everybody to episode 12 of the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz from the Game Changer Podcast, and this is available exclusively on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon. Only five bucks a month gets you shows such as this, Fretz's Fave 5, The Secret Files, Mance's Delight Show pay-per-views, and so much more from all of us at Russellotic Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast. Today, I am talking about wrestling and pop culture from August 2000. We have SummerSlam. We have New Blood Rising. Oh my gosh. Uh, and some not very memorable movies some decent but also memorable music one of my favorite video games of all time came out well not in north america yet but came out in japan first and not much on tv so grab yourself a a refreshment here grab yourself a nice cold drink and join me in the Y2K compliant DeLorean as we go back to August of 2000. Stay tuned. Now, I have some less than memorable movies. Some of you might like them or might have watched them in the past. I don't think I've seen any of the movies that I have here. August was kind of a light month, you know, maybe because it was the summer and everyone wasn't going to movie theaters. Man, remember when going to theaters was a thing? You know, the last movie I saw in theaters was Spider-Man Far From Home. I don't go often. The the nearest theater for me is a half hour drive and I don't have a car. So anyways here, I'm gonna start off with Bring It On. Now this is just an American teen cheerleading comedy film uh, that stars Kirsten Dunst, Alyssa Dushuku, Jesse Bradford, and Gabrielle Union. Uh, there was several sequels, I believe, after this, but this is just, uh, you know, High school cheerleading competitions, and I, I, I did not even touch this. Uh, it earned ninety million. It became a cult classic, but you know th- this, this wasn't for me. Even you know being sixteen and thinking, hey, look, hot girls cheerleading. Uh, no, I, I couldn't. Uh, later on this year, uh, when I when I get to it, uh, later on in two thousand, I started dating a girl I think who would you know like movies like this, and we went and saw. I probably watched this with her and things like Save the Last Dance, but uh, no. And, and and the rest of the cast, I mean, we have yeah, Peyton Reed, who is the director, uh, cameos here as a mime, and there, there's there's not a lot of memorable, you know, or notable actresses in here other than Kirsten Dunst and Alyssa Dushuku. Uh, I don't know Jesse Bratford or, or Gabrielle Union. Is that this? This isn't going to take long, folks. Uh, I'll spending be spending more of my time on things like SummerSlam, New Blood Rising, and the aforementioned one video game I have. 
Next up here is The Replacements. It's a uh, sports comedy film starring Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman, Brooke Langton, John Favreau, and what would be Jack Warden's last film appearance. Now, this is basically uh, the Bad News Bears. What bad news? Uh, what was that one? Ba bad News Bears or Bad News Browns? Uh, yeah, hang on. Bad News Bears. Yeah, that that's it. Thanks, Google. Uh, thanks for that quick little break there to do that. How, how could I forget it was Bad News Bears? Walter Matthau. My gosh, I should be ashamed of myself. Anyways, this is the Bad News Bears of um, of football movies. Or as I like to call it, maybe like Slapshot. You know, one of my favorite, not only hockey movies, but movies of all time. Uh, we just have like a ragtag group of whatever... Uh, playing the sport you know the bad news bears had you know these bunch of whatever kids and and Slapshot, you just had this beer league hockey team that was being sold uh, but by the way if you haven't watched Slapshot and you uh, you're a fan of hockey i highly highly recommend it this one yeah maybe uh it, it seems okay i mean it has uh a fictional pro football league find find themselves uh, in the midst of a player strike, with the season still needing to be finished. Uh, right away, continuity. Uh, they usually don't strike in the middle of a season like sports teams. I mean, was it like 2014-15? We had the NHL lockout and negotiations with the players' union and all that crap started after the Stanley Cup was awarded. And that would have been the year Tampa after Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup. It's like, okay, let's get this players' union, let's get this salary cap uh, sorted out. And then they wound up not being able to negotiate and cancel the season. I mean, the NHL had half a season in 2013. And me being a Maple Leafs fan, the lesser said about that season, the better. The lesser said about the last... 53 seasons the better i mean my gosh uh so we have uh the owner uh is like hey we need to finish these final four games with replacement players so we get keanu reeves i believe he was like the quarterback and uh gene hackman is uh, is the coach here Brooke langton is uh, is the head cheerleader and the owner of a bar that is White, a career parallel. Orlando Jones is in this movie as well. Uh, John Favreau is another is another player, and John Madden and Pat Summerall portray themselves making commentary in all the games, and that's that's got to be interesting. I wonder if John Madden uh, broke out his uh, you know his marker board thing, and yeah, production production of this was filmed at the home of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and they were the Washington Sentinels here. So I probably watched this back in the day, but it is just really not ringing a bell for me. Uh, not ringing a 20 bell. Ha-ha! Yeah, but it looks all right. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with Keanu Reeves, although, you know, The Matrix was a bit of a career resurgence for, for him because before that was really not much memorable other than... Uh, Bill and Ted, if I'm wrong, you know, you all can please 
uh, correct me and let me know, some good Keanu, Reeve, Keanu Reeves movies between Bill and Ted and The Matrix and The Replacements. The Matrix, I think, was just, just under a year before this. Another one here is uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, this was just a uh, comedy drama film uh, directed by the Coen brothers. And this had George Clooney, John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, John Goodman, Holly Hunter. This is a damn good cast. It was uh, set in 1937, rural Mississippi during the Great Depression. Uh, this is a modern satire loosely based on Homer's epic The Odyssey. Now that is interesting. Uh, this is a has a lot of folk music and Virginia uh, bluegrass, and the film here. I remember just seeing bips and bops of it. Pro probably sitting through a good chunk of it at a friend's house and not remembering or not remembering or paying attention. But they used digital color correction to give this film a sepia tone kind of look. Uh, which was also kind of cool because I was taking photography in high school at this point in time. And this was uh, these convicts from uh, a chain a chain gang try to escape and uh, go after this treasure that someone buried before their area that they went to was flooded by a lake. Uh, they get a lift from a, from a blind man. And this is just all about their journey to this sunken treasure with a bunch of folk music and uh and bluegrass now again i I'm, i apologize for not being familiar with these uh i swear as i go on through 2000 and even 2001 and gosh i'm still doing 2002s uh we're, we're gonna get some more more memorable ones i've already peaked ahead in september and i think i have some good movies coming up here and finally, lastly in movies here, is uh, the the original Kings of Comedy, a stand-up comedy film directed by Spike Lee, featuring routines of Steve Harvey, DJ Hughley, Cedric the Entertainer, and the late, great Bernie Mac. Uh, this was, yeah, it was, it was stand-up comedy, so you had uh, just things from these four guys, and I would absolutely watch the crap out of this. I love Bernie Mac. I mean, God rest his soul. That is a guy that was taken far too soon and un, un, unfairly. My my gosh, uh, Cedric the Entertainer is is uh, is pretty good. I love Steve Harvey. I mean him as the current host of Family Feud. He, his reactions and just everything he does on that show is awesome. He might be my favorite Family Feud host, had it not been for Richard Carn. You know, Al from. Uh, tool Time, Home Improvement. I, I mean, Home Improvement's one of my favorite shows ever. I grew up like, I grew up with that show. It was it was awesome, and yeah, th that that's that's it for movies. I mean, that was a pretty short thing here. And if I can quickly get into music, uh, I got to give another shout out to one of my best buds uh, from high school. Although he's living uh, living out west now, uh, Wakely. This one's for you, bud. This is Rancid 2000. It is their uh, their fifth studio album. Uh, dude, this is a this is one I know that you and I listened to front to back over beers several times. 
including uh, we were at a, like a local musicians punk show at at a legion somewhere in the middle of nowhere near 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 my old hometown and someone had the bright idea to hey let's get these guys on stage so it was wakely it was you and me and it might have been might have been brett I'm, I'm sorry i'm breaking into story time here this is exclusively for two people but we started singing rancid tooth uh rancid's poison from this album and we were extremely intoxicated. I don't even remember getting home that night. <laughs> but it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's a fun one. Now this this album was reviewed positively, although it didn't meet the the success of their previous three albums. Uh, it's fine. I think their the album after this that has uh, won't back down or something like that. It has a little bit more reggae influence into it. it Eh, no and out come the wolves is my favorite rancid album because it has my favorite song by the band alleyways and avenues wakely you know exactly what i'm talking about there that <laughs> that freaking music video that we filmed oh gosh yeah that that was fun uh, next here we have weedus's self-titled debut I, i've already talked about weedus at length kind of uh in july's episode you know MJF's favorite band with his, with his favorite song Teenage Dirtbag, Spider Nate Webb's entrance theme, so good, so funny. Uh, it's in my mind, it's Weedus's only notable song. Although if you're from their area and you know them, they have more. Weedus was the one that gained the most notoriety, mostly thanks to the movie Loser. Next up, we hear at Screeching Weasels, Teen Punks in Heat. This is. I don't know who this is for, but this is one of the more notable ones I found from this month. And finally, Shaggy Sugar, his hot sh uh, album Hot Shot, that included uh, It Wasn't Me and Angel. You know, life is one good party when you're still young, but tools gonna have a back one that's all done, or however that goes. Or the, you know, uh, Caught Me on the Counter, It Wasn't Me. Yeah, that was a that was a fun song. And yeah, that is it for TV. Uh, we have a notable debut. If you are a parent or you were a small child at this point in time, we have the debut of Dora the Explorer. Uh, you know, kids show. She goes exploring, backpack, map. Uh, I never watched a frame of this. Uh, in, in 2000, I was 16. I didn't have any younger relatives or... I had young relatives, but they were only ones that I saw at Christmas time. So, not like today where I know all these kids' shows thanks to, uh, you know, me looking after my niece and my nephew. Uh, I, I know most of these ones like PJ Masks and Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and and whatnot. So, I know I know these ones now. I know the ones now. And we have the first Survivor was, uh, I think it was Richard that won that. The He might have been like that famous naked guy like the first few seasons of survivor had like these notable people like you had when we get to the second season uh there is the one who is the one girl that was just unpopular known for being a gigantic bitch uh just we we're waiting and salivating for her to get voted off and finally she was like one of the last few about damn time and we had uh, a new episode of Family Guy in, in two th August 1st, 2000. 
And it was Forefather from uh, Season 2, Episode 21. Uh, Peter and Chris accompanied Joe, Kevin, Cleveland, and Cleveland Jr. on a father-son camping trip. And uh, Joe's gung-ho ways and derisive remarks, coupled with Chris's irresponsibility to the campsite, caused Peter to doubt his influence on Chris. So Peter decides to teach Chris some responsibility. Uh, Chris gets a job at the golf course, being the the uh, ball retriever guy that everyone just whacks balls at. Hey, I, 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 I gotta go. I'm gonna hit balls with this fat kid. Not cool, bro. Come on. I was the fat kid. Still am the fat kid at 36. But, yeah, so Peter then... Uh, kind of models the way for Cleveland Jr. You know, Cleveland Jr. looks like he's a natural at hitting the golf ball, despite the fact he is a very hyperactive, ADHD-wired, sugar-filled child. And then Chris, being abandoned by Peter, decides to hang out with Quagmire to try and show him a good time. Uh, they go to the strip club. Chris confides in one of the dancers who encourages him to give his dad another chance. And then Peter and Cleveland Jr. enter a man-boy golf tournament. That is worded terribly. A terrible joke that just doesn't land. That is just gross. Uh, and meanwhile, throughout the episode, the B-plot is Stewie goes to uh, the doctor for a physical. He does quite well until the needle comes out. Uh, Stewie gets a fever from, from the immunizations, and then Brian kind of manipulates Stewie and convinces him that it was mind control serum. And then we see fever dreams and funny stuff with, with Stewie. Now I'm going to take a little bit of a non-commercial commercial break here because I'm going to go into great detail about the one video game that I was able to find. Now, this video game was released in Japan first and then came out in North America in 2001, but I'm counting this as 2000. What is it? Wait and see. Oh, man. <laughs> Goosebumps. Nostalgia. It's all coming back to me now. This is the title theme to Paper Mario for the N64. Now this came out in Japan on August 11th, 2000. Almost 20 years to the day. It's the 12th as I record this. You'll probably hear this at least a week later. But yeah, Paper Mario. Uh, it came out in America in February 2001, but I have to count this as 2000. I couldn't wait to talk about this. This is probably, no, it is. This is in my Fae 5 N64 games. What are they? Well, why don't I just give them to you right now? Number five, WCW versus NWO Revenge. Number four, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Number three, Paper Mario. Number two, WWF No Mercy. And number one, what else? Ocarina of Time. But what about Goldeneye? Goldeneye's number six. So, Paper Mario was essentially, allegedly, probably going to be Super Mario RPG 2, a sequel to uh, 
the Super Nintendo game uh, by Squaresoft and Nintendo, and the fact that Squaresoft paired, paired up with Nintendo to give us Mario RPG right at the end of the SNES life cycle is amazing. And it's kind of ironic. It's like rain on... No, shut up, Alanis. No. It's ironic that Intelligent Systems helped put out this game near the end of the N64's life cycle because by this time in 2001, by summer 2001, we would see the launch of the GameCube. Uh, a system that I'm looking at right now. It is on my bedroom floor below my dresser, uh, hooked up to my VCR DVD combo. Yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> so this is uh, a blend of traditional JRPG and Mario platforming with, you know, Mario can jump in both the overworld and the battle, which remains one of the most important actions in the game that you can actually use the overworld, hey, I'm gonna, I see this Goomba here, I'm going to jump on him so I get a bit of a head start in battle, so I take a little bit of damage off him. Oh, don't jump on the uh, Lalitudes or those spiky enemies if you don't have the spike shield badge equipped. Yeah, so this had your artsy, paper-esque 2D sprites interacting in a 3D world. Uh, revealing Mario as being paper thin as he turns around and spins. Uh, many of the elements, like your characters, are also depicted as 2D paper sprites. Uh, I just want to ask you guys a question here. Uh, those of you maybe who might be in my age range, Mance, uh, I'm, I'm looking at you, or maybe, maybe even people a little bit younger than me, but when you're all in high school, did you ever have these just free stacks of just occasional pop culture magazines like i remember mine were right in front of the guidance counselor's office uh shout out to mr robotham i hope your health is improving i'll get you that steak bud um yeah it had a cutout of paper mario and it said free demo ha huh. funny so yeah as i said we were gonna get a sequel to Mario RPG and then they thought you know what let's make this paper cutesy aesthetic uh, Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo was hard as balls it was a very tough game especially if you find the secret Culex battle you know Culex from uh, Final Fantasy fame if you find that secret battle after you beat the game uh, good luck to you I got to the to the very end of Mario RPG I couldn't defeat Smithy I don't think I even got to him. I got to his fortress, and then, you know, I just started playing other games. That's what I do. Uh, it's kind of a full circle moment. Nate, take a shot. Uh, I'm talking about the first Paper Mario, and I'm at the tail end of Origami King for the Switch. I recommend it. It's a fun game. I'm in between playing that and Animal Crossing. Kate Murphy, shout out to you for that. But anyone here who has a Switch, I suggest it. You know, if you can get past the, the, the really terrible battle system the game's got some fun dialogue a little bit of references to the old games uh it's funny like the dialogue in paper mario is funny there's so many great puns and so many great jokes thousand year door the follow-up to this that is this game on steroids and this game is damn good it's damn fun it's a little bit easier 
than some of your other games because you know they wanted to make this a little bit more oriented to kids or in a way be like for lack of a better term baby's first rpg uh there are some tough parts of the game uh, namely the crystal king the second the uh, second to last boss in the game you know before bows well before bowser you fight like kamek and maybe some random other things but no the, the crystal king the place where you get the last crystal star uh that's hard that 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 is a very hard boss a lot of people seem to think that huff and puff in uh that uh, garden, that garden in the sky world, is is a little harder. Harder flower fields. The previous chapter to that actually, but nah, Crystal King's harder. And, and this you have here is your typical Mario saves the princess from Bowser story. Uh, Mario, I'm baking a cake. Please come to the castle. Uh, little pointer for those of you who are friends or relatives or who are royalty. When the princess says she wants to come bake a cake for you, A, that's a booty call, and B, it's a trap. If you've seen any Mario game, you would know that it is indeed a trap. Mario, you keep falling for it every time. But you get to go to all these outrageous places inside and outside of the Mushroom Kingdom, like the Koopaburros Fortress, which is just like you're running a mill old castle outside of uh, outside of you know the, Go the Goomba Village, where you fight the the Koopa Bros who are uh, Koopas, but they meet <clears throat> the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, ripping them both off at the same time. Get to go to a desert with some haunted spooky crap. Uh, get to go to a haunted house. And then this big, invincible, in parentheses, tubba blubba. My favorite part of the game, Shy Guy's Toy Box. You, go, you see this mysterious house in Toe Town. You can't go inside. What's going on? You get the Lady Boo from the haunted house to hide you, to ghost you. You see a secret passage here. I'm spoiling a lot of the game. In case you can't tell, I'm sorry. If you haven't played it by now, like, seriously, uh, stop and, and play it. And what, what are you doing if you haven't played it and you grew up with a 64? Come on. This next part was is weird to me. It's something I discovered a little later on. But, you know, hot, hot times on Lava Lava Island. This, this takes you to Yoshi's Village and the Jade Jungle. There are characters in here. Uh, uh, Raphael the Raven. When I played this game, I thought, hey, this Raven thing is weird. He's kind of cool. And then earlier this year, I played and beat... Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island on SNES Online for the first time, and I saw Raphael the Raven in that game. And it was probably also in Yoshi's Story for the 64, but I never played that. And in between each chapter here, you get these, uh, you know, these little spurts where you get to do a little bit of uh, espionage, sneaking around, detective crap with Princess Peach. You play as Princess Peach. And you have to go hunt down clues for the next uh, for the next star spirit, and you get to do things like go on a quiz game. You find a parasol so you can pretend you're a Goomba or a Koopa soldier, and you sneak around. You read Bowser's diary. Yikes! 
And you go to other places. You go to the sky. You go to the. You go to the. You go to Canada. You go to the. <laughs> you go on ice to be in the middle of a Hemingway uh, murder mystery. That's funny shit right there. That's all I can say about that. I can go on and on and on about this game, but I'm going to have to stop because I have to talk about New Blood Rising and SummerSlam. But this is the video game of the month. I couldn't find anything really notable else for for august but it's my recommend it's probably good i would say it's my recommend of the year but in october november we get majora's mask and i can't wait to go in depth with that as well because that that could take up almost the whole episode and i've been going at this for almost 10 minutes now so i'm i'm gonna quit <laughs> while i'm ahead play paper mario play thousand year door hell Play Super Paper Mario on the Wii. That is an underrated gem. Kind of shies away from the traditional JRPG. Brings you a little bit more um, platforming. But the story, uh, some of the elements of that game, it's dark. It's, no, it's dark. It's apocalyptic. It's, it might be my favorite I might get like I might like it better than Thousand Year Door. Unpopular opinion. Sticker Star is straight trash. Color Splash for the Wii U is okay. I love Origami King. I love it. <laughs> I was playing it with my nephew the other day. He loves it too. But he he loves Mario. He's on he's turning six this year, so you know anything with Mario to him is gold. Yeah. So yep, Paper Mario. Play it however you can and i will take a non-commercial commercial break and when i get back a little bit of new blood rising and SummerSlam. stay tuned and here we are oh wcw new blood rising oh boy the only notable thing about this to me is the place that it took place in canada the pacific coliseum in vancouver british columbia i believe that is the former home of the vancouver canucks <laughs> that's a big shout out to the former they're not together anymore invasion podcast there was a fellow out there from vancouver and you know that, that is a city that hasn't got a lot of uh love in professional wrestling i remember a monday night raw out there in like i don't know 2002 or three they usually go to places like edmonton and calgary for raw or for pay-per-views not so often with with vancouver you know, it's kind of on an island out there-ish. But, you know, you can take a ferry across. I got a friend that... I got some friends that live out there. You know, you can... Yeah. So, v Vancouver's a place you don't see a lot in wrestling. <laughs> this show might be why. Uh, typically, uh, the August pay-per-view, at least in the past three, four years previous to this, was Hog Wild or Road Wild. You know, that took place during a Sturgis Bike Week. <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of loud bikers outside 
wrestling ring just every every few seconds. They probably couldn't hold it at Sturgis anymore, maybe because WCW was not as popular. Excuse me while I hydrate. Or maybe because they just say, hey, you know what, let's not do Sturgis anymore. I think I've heard Bischoff talk about this before, but I, I, I forget. So here, uh, New Blood Rising, why don't we name it after the New Blood, which was dissolved before the pay-per-view. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So August 13th, 2000, almost again, 20 years to the day, in front of 6,614 people in Vancouver. I, I'm going to say that 6,612 of these people were comped because, yikes, look at this. This first match doesn't sound bad because it involves a three count Evan Courageous, Shannon Moore, and Shane Helms with Tank Abbott, oh gosh, going up against the Young Dragons, Kazayashi, Jamie Noble, and Jimmy Wang Yang. Whenever these six got in the ring, they put on a damn good match. This was a ladder match for a gold record. Uh, I cannot imagine what the Young Dragons would do with a gold record. I mean, Kazayashi was uh, shoot Japanese. Yeah, Jamie Nobles from like West Virginia and Jimmy Yang, uh, I believe he is all he is uh, American Japanese, but he speaks very fluent English. Uh, I don't know what they would have done with this, but I have a feeling it would have sounded something like William Hung. You know, four years before William Hung was a thing. Coming up next here, Ernest the Cat Miller defeated the Great Muda in a singles match. This, oh no, this next match is infamous you know because russo and i'm not going to slander russo too hard because he follows me on twitter hi vince uh, why are you following me on twitter <laughs> i i think i know why i i know people who know him i'm not going to talk about it here uh buff bagwell defeated canyon in a judy bagwell on a forklift match that took place here holy crap why? Why? Uh, uh, that's what I want to know. Okay, next up here, we had a four corners match for the tag team championship. Chronic, Brian Adams and Brian Clark, or Crush and Adam Bomb, retained going up against the perfect event, Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbo. Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak, my personal favorite tag team from, from the dying days of WCW, Jindrak and O'Hare, were amazing. Like, O'Hare, my gosh, what could have been? He is the biggest what-if, I think, in wrestling in a while. And the misfits in action of General Hugh G. Erection and Corbel Cajun. And for some reason, Disco Inferno, Tigress, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Juventud Guerrero were all special guest referees. That's a cluster F. Why? <laughs> Billy Kidman versus Shane Douglas in a strap match with and Shane Douglas had Tory Wilson. Kidman wins. Uh, Major Guns against Stacy Stacy Keebler, Miss Hancock in a mud rip off the clothes match. What the hell is that? Sting defeated the Demon in fifty two seconds. Okay. Uh, 
my my favorite moment here. Th this this I loved. Lance Storm defeated Mike Awesome in a Canadian Rules match for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Now, what are Canadian Rules? Well, I'm going to let you know. Means that instead of a traditional three count, the referee must administer a five count. Three ain't enough. No, I need five, eh? Following the five count, the competitor has to stay down for ten seconds. If both men are down for a 10 count for any reason, the first man who gets to his feet first wins. In addition, there are no submissions or count outs. Uh, I'm Canadian. I've been to three house shows. One, two WWE, and one indie promotion. Not one of them had rules like that. Canada... We don't do wrestling like that. We do it like all you all do. This was just a convoluted way to get Lance Storm the U.S. title, which is rechristened the Canadian title in a gorgeous, gorgeous fashion. And then Lance Storm went on a bit of a streak, winning the Cruiserweight Championship and the Hardcore Championship, renaming them the, like, 110... The 90 kilos and under champion. Uh, we don't use kilos in Canada. We use pounds. We use, I think we use, I, I don't know. We own the metric system. I don't know shit. Yeah, but this was fun. This was when Lance Storm won all the titles. The Saskatchewan International Hardcore Chant title. That's the same uh, initials as superhero in training. Figure it out. Huh. Yeah, this was Team Canada on a tear. Lance Storm, the home country boy, you know, Edmund, uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada is not too far from from Vancouver. It's probably nah, it's a plane ride. It's a plane ride. Calgary's pretty up there in Alberta. Kevin Nash defeated Goldberg and Scott Steiner in a triple threat match uh, after being absent from the pay per view due to a kayfabe motorcycle accident. Goldberg did not show up until the middle of the match. And then in some kind of work shoot, Goldberg walked out of the match, allegedly refusing to take the powerbomb. Okay. And then in the main event, oh, I forgot, the Dark Carnival, uh, Vampiro and Great Muda defeated Chronic to win the Tag Team Championship. Big whoop. And then Booker T retained the WCW title against Jeff Jarrett. Uh, yeah, WCW is fledgling at this point in time, and you can tell from the booking Yikes. Uh, Mance, how did you do this? Seriously, uh, I don't think, I don't know, actually, I don't know enough about you. Do you drink? Do you have, like, a little bit, a, a little bit of the bubbly before you do the show? I, I mean, I know you're a dad, so you wouldn't really do it much. Let me know, bro. Seriously, how did you get through these? And here we go. Summer Slam 2000. Now, by the time you hear this, uh, Nate the effing great and I, my co-host and good brother on the Game Changer podcast, uh, would have already reviewed the show. I, I know it uh, it fell on the same month as a 20 bell. We're both cool with it. I'm cool with talking about it twice. I'll probably have a little bit more of an in-depth discussion of it here. And I'll just do a little bit of uh, one-liners and bips and bops through, uh, through the Game Changer podcast. But you'll find out what it's going to be like when... When you get to it, because I said, you're going to hear that first. 
this this will be up not long not long after uh, that that episode airs anyways because I want the rest of the month to well get some more Fave Fives out because uh, the Fave Fives at least for the rest of August or the next two will be SummerSlam related so you'll have to wait and see wait and see what I have in store for you there so okay here we go SummerSlam 2000. And here we are at SummerSlam 2000. Event took place on August 27, 2000 in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Raleigh Entertainment and Sports Arena, now known as the PNC Arena, home of the Carolina Hurricanes, with 17,002 fans selling out the event. Now this at the time was the 13th Summer Slam, and we have a stacked show for you here today. Now, this again was a classic. My buddy Dave's basement pay per view. We chipped in for pizza and appetizers and and all that, and sat in his air conditioned central air basement in the middle of summer, cold pops and hot food and hot SummerSlam wrestling action. Uh, yeah, sh shout out to the old... I heard from some people in the old crew, from my old friends I used to run with way back in the day. It's so great to hear from you all, and I hope we get to reunite and reminisce someday soon. So, SummerSlam, here we go. Wasting no time here, we have a six-person tag team match with right to censor uh which is uh steven richards the good father and bull buchanan going up against too cool and rikishi and right to censor coming out with my favorite favorite entrance theme almost ever that friggin kind of a car alarm that has a bit of a drum beat in the middle of it uh i know i think it I think it was that uh, King of the Ring, Kings of the Rings, Ricky. You guys are talking about it recently. It's a car alarm. It is, but there's a little bit of a kind of beat in the middle of it. Uh, listen to it carefully. Put on a good pair of uh, headphones and listen to it on YouTube. Trust me on this. And they're going up against yeah, two cool and Casey, as I said, and uh, the Good Father, the Godfather, uh, comma, Papa Shango, whatever you want to call him. It recently turned to the PTC, I mean the RTC, uh, admonishing his former uh, lifestyle of a pimp and basically kicking his uh, his hose, for lack of better terms, they were known as back then, uh, to the curb. One of these uh, ladies of the night was a young Victoria uh, who was training in OVW at the time. She took a, like a hella bump. I think she got even put through a table. Uh, so th she comes out with with Too Cool and Rikishi. She uh, kind of gets in Godfather's, not gets in Godfather's face, but kind of walks past him to remind him of the good times. 
Good father just like grabs her by the face and shoves her to the ground. Just complete face wash. How gentlemanly of you to go to a far right wing uh, preachy group to push a woman down. That is so, so gentlemanly of you, good father. So, so nice. So the crowd is red hot for Too Cool and Rikishi. They are all about this, uh, this act. They are all about the dancing, which ain't going to last long because we are approaching I Did It For The Rock. I believe it might have been as soon as uh, next month I get to talk about that. Oh, boy. Time to hydrate. So, Too Cool and Rikishi start getting a bit of an advantage. Uh, we see, you know, the Bulldog. And the crowd starts going nuts because you know that's the precursor to the to the worm. So, Scotty starts dancing. He goes, W-O-R-M. Boom. Steven kick. An old White Sox, Steven Richards, steals the pin. One, two, three. The right to censor win and the crowd is pissed i didn't do any of the many of the backstage skits here so there's probably going to be some in between each match that i missed nate and i are going to go and talk about that that's the thing we'll talk about more is the backstage crap next up here xbox versus road dog uh dx explode or the remnants of dx explode if that dx died in 1999 guys let it go Xbox was still using the friggin' uh, Degeneration X remake of his theme at this point in time. It would be months until he discovered Uncle Cracker. What you looking at? So it was Xbox versus Road Dog. This was a dud. Uh, you had them fighting over the thing. Blah, blah. Blah, excuse me. Road Dog goes for the pump handle. Xbox hits a low blow. X Factor. Uh, and then afterwards, I guess they're trying to... X-Pac wants to make amends. I don't know why. Uh, and, um... No. Pump Handle Slam. Road Dog gets his heat back. And then Road Dog starts getting rowdy in the coming weeks. Tag Mixed tag team match here. We have... Nope. Not not quite. Yes, we do. But we have Eddie and China talking strategy. If you, if you win, I'm not the jealous type. Uh, mamacita. You know. Well... Whoever wins, one of us is going to get lucky. Ooh. Val and Trish. Uh, it's like, China or me? And it's like, you know, China or Trish? Uh, I, I, may, I was going to make a joke here about no wonder uh, Val joined the right to censor. He's just in the middle of these, uh, these two ladies fighting. And he's just like, hey, just don't get in the way, basically. Eddie and China against Val and Trish for the Intercontinental title. Uh, whoever gets the pinfall here is the Intercontinental champion, although it was unclear. Uh, I thought that if Trish Stratus were to somehow pin China, uh, that she would be the Intercontinental champion. No, I think it's basically, the rule was basically for uh, Val, Eddie, or China. And I think, what if Trish wins? And just through this match, through this entire run, through this year, heck, through his career, Val Venus is a criminally underrated wrestler. Uh, you know, uh, he was a good promo. He was a good gimmick. I mean, sure, he his talent was making cum jokes. 
<laughs> he made some good ones. <laughs> so we see here uh, Val and Trish, the, the Toronto connection, the six cells. Uh, China knocks down Val. Uh, and then there's a night, there's a sign there, a big old sign in the crowd. Hey, China, get me a beer, bitch. Nice. Chivalrous. Ah, uh, 2000s, guys. Uh, there's some intergender action here. Trish starts to run away, uh, teasing the eventual, you know, every time that China gets tagged in, Trish is running away like, nope. Teasing the teasing a match between the two. I cannot imagine, like, this era of China going up against, like, 2005-era Trish. That'd be a barn burner. I'm just going to say that now. Uh, and the elbow misses. She can't take Eddie. Uh, there's a low blow on the big Valboski. A DDT. And Eddie hits an amazing, amazing top rope. Her on Kunrana. I'm sorry my page is stuck together. That's not why you pervert. Friggin' pen exploded. Uh, Blue Thunder Bomb. Trish wants to cover Eddie. Hmm. Eddie takes her down for China. China hits the press slam. And new Intercontinental Champion, once again, is China. Now... The way China loses the title not long after this, I think it's like September, October. There was a mixed tag match. China just gets just gets blammed and Eddie just is crying and hugs her, cradles her, comforts her, and then just kind of cradles her with her shoulders on the mat, hugging one, two, three, and Eddie's just like, No, I didn't mean to do that. But then he did, because he turned heel and reformed the Radicals. And it was awesome. Steph, the makeup lady. Um, is Kurt a hunk or a hottie? Is there a difference? Um, any ladies listening to this? Or even, you know, I'll ask, you know, non-binaries. Okay. Um, what's the difference when, when people... When, when ladies or, or uh, you know, or fill in the blank, talk like this. Please help me out. <laughs> What's the difference between a hunk or a hottie? Next, Taz versus Lawler. That's a big old nope. Uh, we see this match, this feud, uh, just starts off with uh, Taz becoming a heel, becoming a jerk. We saw him a little bit at Fully Loaded when he choked out Al Snow. He targets JR for some reason, making fun of Bell's palsy. Nice. Uh, smashing a car door, a uh, car window, I'm sorry, with him uh, in front of it, allegedly getting some glass in his face and damaging his eyeballs. And, and uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, I wanted to slap you across the face, but God already beat me to it. Oh, my. Yeah, it's like, hit me. Hit me. But then Jerry Lawler pipes in. Boom. And we get this match. Uh, Taz comes out uh, with a walk, with uh, shades and a walking and a walking stick. Okay, I, I, I chuckled. I chuckled a little bit. Uh, King, who's been on commentary this whole night and will continue to be on commentary for the rest of the night. Uh, it's, it's a match. It's a typical 
baby face and heel, you know, Taz has the Taz mission locked in forever, and, you know, Jim Ross leaves, he's like, oh, I gotta do something here, oh, sassafras, takes off his headset, smashes Taz in the face with a glass jar full of candy, with JR cutting his hand open in the process, it's like, oh, no, not the Snapple Eye, that's our, that's our candy, King, yeah, you have Mountain Dew in front of you the whole time, and you don't drink it, I'm looking at you pre-show panels, yeah, you know. Yeah, this was uh, this was a dud. Just like X-Pac and Road Dog. This is a bit of a dud. Uh, next up here we have um, Shane and Steve Shane McMahon versus Steve Blackman for the hardcore title. Now, we're going to get some barn burners like all in a row. We're just going hell to leather here. This is... <laughs> okay. Uh, on Raw, about a week or two before this, uh, TNA and Edge and Christian... Help Shane steal the hardcore title from Steve Blackman, setting up this match at SummerSlam. And uh, Blackman, if you don't know his story, th this guy, he, he is currently a bounty hunter. He looks exactly the same. He is ripped to shreds. He is a badass. Now, the story with him is that he was signed to the WWE in like 1988, 87, somewhere in there. However, he had contracted malaria on a, something like a trip overseas, and he was bedridden for two years and almost died. He, he, I think he basically had like, you know, muscular dystrophy as a result or something like that. And then he had to make his way back. And he finally debuted at Survivor Series 1997. You know, basically a decade after he initially signed. Uh, and and he's one of those backstage guys like, you know, like Haku or Harley Race that you didn't ever F with. <laughs> ever. And it was kind of funny. Al Snow's trying to bring out a little bit of charisma, a little bit of, uh, of character out of him because Steve Blackman was very... Very dry, very matter of fact. At least on screen, maybe he had some uh, some funny stuff going on backstage. I don't know. So, for this match, the twenty four seven rule is suspended. Uh, he gives Shane a cane to give him a free shot. Take turns around. Okay, here, give me one. You get one shot, and then Shane goes for it, and just like that, flick of flick of a switch, uh, Blackman blocks it with his armpit. And, and here we go. We get weapons. We get a bin lid to the knees of Shane. Ouch. We see the spinning back fist with a lid. I mean, that would make uh, Aja Kong blush with her, her spinning back fist is sick. We see a back suplex by Blackman while he has Shane's legs hooked with the kendo stick. It's kind of like the white Russian leg sweep, but with a suplex. It's really weird. So TNA come out, uh, and eventually they get chased off by, by the kendo stick. And then Shane just starts to climb the scaffolding. He starts to climb the SummerSlam set. What is it with Shane McMahon and Heights? Every match that he's in, at least every high-profile match, he just starts climbing stuff to try and get away. And it always backfires on him. Either he gets tossed off of them, 
like here and WrestleMania 30, was it 33? Was it the one against Shane McMahon? 32? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, it was the Hell in a Cell match against Shane. Uh, he, there he goes. Uh, he tries to do the same thing to Kevin Owens. Nope, he misses. Thank you, Sami Zayn. And here, he is trying to run away from Steve Backman by climbing the SummerSlam set. Steve ain't afraid of heights. He ain't afraid of crap. So he comes up with the kendo stick, whack, 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 and Shane falls back first onto, you know, a bed of pillows and and stuff on the set. And then Blackman goes down a few rungs, hits a flying elbow drop, and wins back the title. This match was fun. This was chaotic. This was crazy. Uh, Shane McMahon is absolutely insane. I'm surprised that what was the the year that he wrestled uh, AJ Styles that he didn't want to do something off of that roller coaster on the WrestleMania stage. He probably would have because he's nuts. Backstage we see uh, one of my favorite parts here. Um, Stephanie is distraught. Kurt, Kurt Angle comes in uh, oh, and Stephanie just crying and just like, you know, Stephanie's hysterical and just grabs Kurt, hugs him. And then McFoley comes in, like, oh, 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 I didn't, I don't want to interrupt anything. You know, kind of being like that awkward roommate who uh, always wants to interject on on your friend's coupley stuff. That was me. Uh, just kidding. Not really. Yeah, I am kidding. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Shane's okay. He just landed on his kisser. You'll know why this is funny if you've seen this and if you stay tuned. And coming up next, we are going with another banger. Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit, two out of three falls. Of course, Shane McMahon was supposed to be in Chris Benoit's corner, but no. The feud continues. This is the feud that never ends, and I'm okay with it, because these two, every time they had a match, it's a classic. And I've said it before. Chris, the end of Chris Benoit's life is abhorrent. It's evil. It's disgusting. For some people, they can't watch a match with him in it. Me, because I was a big fan of his. Until, you know... <laughs> and his talent, from to me, his talent can't be ignored. He is too damn good. But, seriously, you know, screw him. In here, we have a ref getting caught in the midst of their tussle. We have an STF into a crossface. We see a Walls of Jericho, but nope, it's going to be a slingshot. And we see Chris Jericho hit a nice German suplex. And then we see uh, Chris Ben. It looks like they were going to go for a tombstone. Like uh, Jericho was going to set up for a tombstone, but you know, Chris Benoit reverses. Looks like he's going to hit one of his own. But the shoulder breaker, because, aha, I thought the pile driver was not really happening at this point in time. We see a crossface. Chris Jericho taps, and it's one nothing Benoit. And then, as soon as the bell rings, he walks it in again to try and get the quick tap for number two, but he doesn't. Uh, Chris Jericho reaches the ropes. We see, we see a roll through walls of Jericho. We see, you know, uh, the shoulders being worked on, the knees being worked on. Uh, they're working their body parts here. They're doing awesomely. 
Benoit hits a nice dragon suplex. We see an amazing super Hurricane Rana by Chris Jericho. And we see, you know, the walls of Jericho for the tie. And I'm like, okay, Jericho's winning this match. Here we go. We see a lion salt denied. Shoulders being worked on again. There is a cradle reversal. Like Chris Jericho hits a cradle and then uh, Benoit reverses that into a bit of a schoolboy with the ropes and he wins. And next we have TLC. Can you stop? The hits just keep coming. You know, the classic promo with Mick Foley. Tables and ladders and chairs. Oh my. Uh, the Dudley Boys versus Edge and Christian versus the hometown favorites, the Hardy Boys, for the Tag Team Championship. Now, leading up to this was the debut of the Concerto. So that's something. Brain damage. Hooray! We see, you know, the Dudley Boys have a uh, proficiency for putting people through tables. And the Hardy Boys like being daredevils and jumping off of ladders and stuff. Leading Mick Foley to being like, okay, this is going to be a tables, ladders, and chairs match. Right away, we see an event Omega by the Hardys through a table. We see uh, Edge and Christian are holding a sit-down strike. Uh, nope. Okay. The, I think WrestleMania conceived this match. And then TLC 1 and 2. Like TLC 2. You've heard my reviews of WrestleMania X7, so you know how damn good I love that match. It's so good. And I found this. The further Edge and Christian went in their heel run, the more heel Christian went, the circumference of his shades ever grew with it. And it was funny. And then the match starts, and just right away, we want tables as a ladder is being set up. Guys, let it settle. Patience, hold on. See, Christian climbs uh, two ladders at the same time, but then Bubba hits the full Nelson powerbomb, which hurt him more than it hurt. Christian, you idiot. Get the tables. <coughs> we get some wood. 3D on Christian. I'm just going through some spot, spot, spot here, so this is going to be pretty cool as notes. We see a double stack a double stack of tables being set up and you know Murphy's Law here or Kevin Owens Law if you remember his stack of chairs with Roman Reigns see Bubba hits an unprotected chair shot or gets one I mean he was concussed in the middle of this match probably twist of fate a leg drop off the ladder to edge by Matt and then Jeff does the same thing with a slingshot and you can tell that when he landed on his butt it hurt him bad ouch Christian gets splashed onto a ladder where Edge is sandwiched in between. There is a swanton through the tables. Uh, Matt and Christian, you know, with that reverse DDT off of the ladder. And then Bubba, as he's climbing to the top of the ladder, gets pushed and put through that double stack of tables. And then Lita comes in and jerks Edge off the ladder. Uh, Lita chant. The crowd is white hot for Team Extreme here. Matt is sent backwards through another stack of tables when he was coming off of the ladder. And we see the birth of that, that Wiley Coyote, Coyote cam. 
you know, that's coming from like the top-down perspective above the ring. It looks like a Hawaii Coyote cartoon. Ah, that's why they call it that. And then we see Devon and Jeff hanging on to the ladders, clinging to the belts. Devon is mortified of heights. You know, he's like, he's much like me. And he drops down to the ground. Uh, Jeff is still hanging on, but boom, chair shot. Ladder is set. Edge and Christian climb up to win, much to the heat of the Carolina crowd, the Kakalaki crowd. Uh, Triple Edge is backstage, upset with Steph. Uh, explain this, you know, explain whatever, you know, Kurt took advantage of me. We had Cat versus Terry in a stink face match. Nope, next. Uh, APA is at WWF New York toasting Vince. It's like, hey, basically, you know, all the rounds are on are on his bill. Just think, hey, it's on his bill. Who cares? Hey, hey what's around? <laughs> oh, Vince is what? What is this? Sixteen thousand dollar bar tab. Who ordered two hundred chicken wings? You're Fired. Taker and Kane had a no contest match here that just uh, didn't that ended before it began. I mean, it was a schmoz. And it was a damn shame because we had Taker and Kane having a will they, won't they? You know, they've already uh, teamed and then feuded and then teamed and then feuded. I don't think that they were tag team champions yet at this point in time. I think they didn't win it until a year later. And we see the, the mask. Taker is kind of working the mask here. So he was trying to unmask Kane. And we're looking. It's like, wait, Kane got unmasked? We're, me, me and my buddies are watching. It's like, we better be taping this. Pause. And you didn't see nothing because the hair, the hair did a really good job of, of blocking it. And we see Creepy Kurt phoning Steph and then you know because her husband's in the room has to disguise the fact that it's her side piece oh hi mom uh, let me talk to her let me talk to her oh uh, she must have hung up uh, oh hunter oh hunter you naive naive fool main event already here we go Kurt Angle versus Triple H versus The Rock for the WWF title. And it's like, hey, if you send in a copy of your satellite bill, we'll give you these free rock sunglasses. Right away, we have a schmoz between Kurt Angle and Triple H. And if you know Botchamania, if you know your botches, you'll know that this is the spot where Kurt Angle and Triple H are on the announce table. They go, Triple H goes for the pedigree, slips completely flops drops Kurt Angle right on his face Kurt is concussed he is carried out to the back um and here we go and the setup to this we see you know those infamous spots where it looked like that you know Triple H is teaching uh Trish how to wrestle but it looked more like um the naughty from the behind and the spot where Trish gets laid out, and then Triple H gets laid out on top of her in a 69. Oh! And then 
Stephanie saying the four most dangerous words in a relationship. I need some space. That's a bad sign, guys. I may be single and may not have had a date in 10 years, but I know that's a that's a bad sign. It's like, Kurt and I are just friends. No, I've been there. I've been the other guy, and it doesn't work out like that. They always hook up. Or at least it did in my situation. <clears throat> uh, and like, Kurt Angle's like, yeah, I should have done it sooner. Oh, dude. Like, yeah, I kissed Steph. I wish I'd done it sooner. No. Uh, so back to the match here. Uh, Kurt's concussed. He's set to the back, leaving Rock and Triple H to have a match. A classic Rock Triple H match. Having full circle moment here from SummerSlam 98 when they had a ladder match over the Intercontinental title. Two years later, they're in the main event. How, how cool is that? So Kurt Angle comes back out with Steph. Help Hunter! Help Hunter! He's like, yeah, helps Hunter right into the steps. Funny. And, you know, not long after that, you know, uh, rock bottom, probably the people's elbow. I forgot to watch the end of this match. And there we go. Rock wins. Uh, this was a fun match. This is a fun pay-per-view, other than a couple of duds here, and then Taker and Kane never really got going. But, yeah, uh, we're going on to September, folks. Uh, next month is Unforgiven 2000. Probably a little bit of a back-to-school talk as well, because September 2000, I started 11th grade. And that was a monumental year for me. You're going you're gonna to hear about why and how it, it was, because uh, it, it was just memorable for me for many reasons, probably well, well, one reason, but we'll get to that when we get there. Thank you very much for, for listening to the 20 Bell Salute, episode 12. Folks, you can find this on the Russell Attic Radio Patreon page. You will hear it eventually on my Fretzelmania feed at anchor.fm slash Fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. Uh, coming up on Russ on yeah, Russell Attic Radio, the Game Changer Podcast with me and Nate. You'll hear us talk about this. You'll probably already have heard this first before you came over to here and listened to me ramble about movies and Paper Mario for an hour and a half. If folks, I'm going to give you a chance here. Anyone who's listening to this, if you have some back to school stories, well, maybe from 2001, you might be a lot younger than me. But I still want to hear them if you have some memorable back to school from 2000. Or heck, maybe I'll use any. And I'll use them in my show. Send me a voicemail. Send me a direct message. You know how to get a hold of me, folks. So thank you very, very much for listening to this on Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast. God bless you. I love you. Bye-bye.